0: This was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets.
1: So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five
0: hundred thousand dollars to in debt
1: one hundred ninety two million dollars. This
0: is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. This episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by the Value Builder System. So you're an entrepreneur and you've got somewhere between a million and 10 million in annual revenue and you're trying to figure out what's next. Maybe you want to scale up, maybe you want to sell, maybe you want to bring in a manager and delegate some of the day-to-day stuff, bring in the next generation of leaders, maybe you want to pass it down to your family. All of those options, the one prerequisite is that it's built to sell, that it's actually something that you could pass on to another generation without you. And that's really what we try to evaluate using the Value Builder Score. It takes about 15 minutes to complete the questionnaire and then you're gonna get a readout of how your business would be viewed by an acquirer across eight unique dimensions that acquirers care about. Again, it takes only about 15 minutes. You can do it free at valuebuilder.com. I think you're going to like this next interview with Dan Fagella. He had Science of Skill, which was in the business of selling videos and self protection gear. He'll tell you all about it in a minute, but what I want you to listen for is a couple things. One, three things he did to get his business ready to sell, sort of de-risking it for a potential buyer by pulling himself personally out of a lot of the operations and the marketing of the business. So listen carefully to some of the tactics he used there, which I think were really good. I also liked his description of the SBA and the importance of the SBA, and in particular in the sale of smaller companies uh, and and as a a source of financing for buyers. Uh, He also talked about, you know, how to pick a broker and i think did a really nice job of getting into the nitty-gritty of his offer and how he structured the offer to get most of his second seven-figure offer up front which uh which is uh, somewhat rare and, and, a, and a great accomplishment for him so without further ado here is dan fagella
1: Dan Fagella, welcome to Built to Cell Radio. John, hey, ha- happy to be here, brother. Hey,
0: science of skill, what were you guys in the business of doing?
1: Yeah, science of skill, we were selling um, self-defense educational programs. So we had instructors from all over the world, from Sweden to Philadelphia to you name it, teaching um, firearms, knife defense, hand-to-hand self-defense, video stuff, John, uh, programs, and then also physical gear. So whether that be uh, you know a tactical folding knife or some other kind of you know, self-protection equipment, uh, our our is very much into that as well. So a little bit of e-commerce and e-learning that was basically the business.
0: You are not a guy I'd want to like run into in a dark. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm
1: a, I'm a, I'm a nice fellow, man. It's, it's, a, I, it was, it was just a passion of mine for martial arts for many years and that's what got me into it. But yeah,
0: got it. So, so let me understand the business model. You're selling these videos in this gear to martial arts trainers, who in turn resell it to people who are practicing martial
1: arts? or Actually, John, yeah, we're selling straight to consumers. Um, and we were selling through uh, marketing mediums that tended to resonate with a self-protection message. So um, there are a lot of different groups that, interestingly enough, with testing and marketing and experimentation, we were able to find really resonate with kind of understanding the skills and maybe being prepared for uh, self-defense in general. And, and uh, those groups might include folks who are interested in uh, firearms. In general, folks that are interested in firearms tend to have an interest in self-defense. I don't own a firearm myself, I, I never have. I have nothing against it, I, I just never have. Uh, I was a martial arts guy, but as it turns out, uh, the firearms world is quite large. Um, much, people who own a gun would be much larger than the, the group of people who you know actively train martial arts. Um, and, and those folks are very congenial to the self-protection message. Same thing with folks who are into kind of survivalist prepper stuff or folks who are into homesteading, uh, John. So um, folks with a previous military background, a lot of these groups have an affinity to the message of self-protection to kind of staying sharp in that regard. And so we were selling directly mostly through email channels, direct response marketing through email channels to those kind of demographics
0: love it love it i was in a hotel room uh last month uh took her kids down to florida and they had they had one of those magazines where like the really fancy cars are advertised like you can you can buy like a ferrari for 400 grand or something ridiculous oh, and Great. in the magazine there were there was a lot of self defense stuff. There was there was one guy who was advertising like, I want to say German Shepherd like attack dogs. And I was just like, I guess if you own a Ferrari that's worth four hundred grand, maybe you need attack dogs to to protect it. But I mean, it, was that also a segment of the sort of ultra
1: wealthy people that were you know, worry you know, about that kind of stuff? That 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 ah, uh, that's part. It's part of the ecosystem. I don't know if that was our guy, John. Mm. But I will say. Um, and and none of this was by design. This was all by, you know, running my face into the wall. But I I you know, we started off just selling to martial artists, right? So, John, I'm I'm a martial artist, I'm a competitor. Uh um, you know, black belt, and I, I was basically in the early days trying to sell to guys like me. And as it turns out, there's only enough guys like me to build about a forty thousand dollar a month business, and we really wanted a, a multi-million dollar business so we could get a sizable exit uh, or that's what I wanted, uh, for, for my, my next venture. Um, so we needed to expand as it turns out a lot of the folks who are into self-protection, not surprisingly kind of have a conservative bent. Um, and, uh, also not surprising a lot of the folks who have a conservative bent, not all of them John, for sure. Uh, but, but many of them are self-made fellows of, of reasonable means, if you will. Um, and so there is that sub segment. I, I would be loathe to say that that was the the main swath of my customer base. uh, But it was hard to avoid those guys every now and again. But yeah, there's definitely a market for, you know, $20,000 two-day events where they basically like abduct you and put you in the trunk of a car and (laughs) teach you, right? Like, I'm not even joking. Like, this stuff was real in our niche. I never did any of that. Uh, For us, it was not really like terrorism, crazy stuff. It was a lot more just practical hand to hand, practical firearms with like instructors teaching solid fundamentals. Um, so really we didn't go into the end of the world stuff, but yeah, there's a lot of wealthy folks that, uh, are pretty adamant uh, about, you know, being all right when the apocalypse comes up.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I want to pick up on something you said earlier, which was you were, you, you wanted to have a, um, you wanted to build a multimillion dollar business and have a sizable exit. Yep. Um, maybe walk me through why that was on your radar so early in the business.
1: Yeah, sure, John. So, um, you know, four or five years ago, uh, I was studying cognitive science in graduate school. Um, actually, that's more like six or seven years ago, and I was still in school for that. But towards the end of my graduate school time, I kind of came to the conclusion that uh, technology more so than just theories of psychology would have a bigger ethical impact on sort of sentient life on earth i'm getting a little bit high and and hoity-toity here john but basically like well, the belief that, that AI will be of a reasonable ethical significance. AI being
0: artificial intelligence. Artificial
1: intelligence, yep. So uh, because of that, the goal for for me would really be to build a media presence that could kind of proliferate an ethical and social conversation around where those technologies might take us and how they might influence sentience and intelligence broadly in the next 20, 30 years. A little bit of a philosophical goal, John, but, but you could call it a, a rather ardent life purpose, Uh, And this is a rather ardent life purpose, John, that didn't by itself make money on day one. So the first business I started was a martial arts gym. You know, the first class I taught, I could make some bucks, right? Uh, And and now when I sold that martial arts gym, um, I I wanted to move on to my life purpose, John, but uh, my life purpose wasn't going to make money on day one. So what do you do? You either beg for money and give away equity, or you build your own very robust revenue stream and then find a way to automate operations. Um, so that you can move to Silicon Valley with your own substantial means rather than uh, having to kind of beg, borrow and steal from wealthy folks. So I had kind of known that this would not be a dollars on day one, kind of a media enterprise, kind of a market research firm, which is what we sort of turned into a platform uh, that we're aiming to build. Um, so I knew I would need dollars and I knew that it wouldn't be worth kind of giving that away in equity to someone who didn't share maybe the moral vision of what I was ultimately after. So, uh, building a business explicitly to sale was the plan from day one. So
0: you were a mercenary about this. You were trying to build a company as quickly as possible uh, that would be worth as much money as possible so that you could take that money and and invest it in something you felt passionately about.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Something that I felt would be a worthwhile use of my human life. Yeah. Okay.
0: So this is like a, this is like a really philosophical conversation with me because, because, because what you're what you're saying is, is the ultimate built to sell company, right? So it's, it's, it, you're the express purpose, the explicit purpose to sell it as soon as quickly as possible. And it's the sort of built to flip mentality, which is often really uh, criticized in, in certain circles where, it is. It is. you know, where people say, look, you've got to have a big vision and it's got to be, you know, tied to a purpose. And, 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 you know, to some extent, the message, the inherent message I hear in that is, well, you know, like, don't, don't be such a money grubbing uh, capitalist, you should be doing something for the greater good. And what I hear in you, what you're saying is that, that you share some of that, that desire to do something for the greater good, but you saw the business as sort of this mercenary sort of vehicle to get you there.
1: Yes, all day. And, and don't get me wrong, um, you know, I, I did, we did kind of have to come up with what would be the values and kind of legitimate purpose of science of skill as we moved along as well. So it wasn't, you know, maybe in the very early days when I thought I could flip it after about a year, uh, which, you know, my, my naive early twenties, mid twenties self, uh, maybe, maybe thought like, Hey, you know, if we get this thing up to 50 grand a month and we can flip it. Awesome. But, uh, banks aren't going to back a business with only one year of tax returns, even if your growth is really nice. But anyway, um, yeah, we did actually, uh, you know, d- discern and determine kind of the core values and core purpose for science of skill. Uh, and we had a team that was actually on board with that. Uh, and they all knew what I was selling for and where I was going. It was very transparent from day one. They knew what my passions were. Uh, they've, you know, seen me give TED talks on this stuff. Uh, so they they know what my ultimate goals are. But we also made science of skill um, a worthwhile business as well so that it can carry on uh, beyond me, carrying forth kind of the same sort of purpose of bringing uh kind of a qualified, objective perspective to self-protection training online, um, and uh, kind of getting rid of the uh, political tinge that a lot of those kind of materials currently have on the internet. We sort of made our presence void of that. So we did determine a purpose for science of skill. Don't get me wrong, John, but yes, uh, my grand moral purpose uh, was to take those funds and to funnel them into something that I thought would be genuinely very high-level morally worthwhile. Um, Got it. Yeah. So, so
0: what did you do as you approached the exit to make sure your business was as sellable possible? And I'd love to know very, very tactical. I mean, you're, you're a tactician. So like what, what, you know, what did you do very tactically to make sure your company was a sellable asset versus just like, oh, that's Dan's little pet project.
1: Yep. Um, There's a couple big key lessons, John, and I I thought about this before we chatted. Um, Well, I mean, I I had read, I'd actually read your book like 14 months before the sale, and I'd read a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Uh, In addition to just getting a lot of feedback from brokers, I will say this, John, talking to people who have sold and talking to brokers uh, who have sold businesses like mine was probably the best source of Hey, what should I do to get a decent exit as I could? So I'm going to give you ideas right now. And and you've probably, you know, you you've heard it all. So none of it's going to surprise you, but I don't want the audience to give me as much credit as maybe they, they would. These are the ideas of smart brokers and smart business owners who had had exits. And I just basically drained their brains. Um, And so uh, a couple of key ideas, John. If, uh, if I can just kind of riff on like maybe three top things that I think made the the buyers willing to pay ninety percent down. Yes. Yeah, cool. So uh, in order to really get the cash down, and in order to to really be able to get uh, kind of seven figures total for for the exit, um, the one of the biggest things was completely making my own self sort of void uh, in in any positions of import. By positions of import, I mean the following, John. Number one, uh, my name not at the bottom of emails, my name, not at the bottom of blog posts, my name, uh, you know, not mentioned prominently in instructional material. you know, n- no instructional material with my name on it or or if there was, it was buried at the bottom of the store and we were mostly selling other people's names. So getting rid of my name, uh, was a very, very important thing. And in, in this particular business, it's, it began selling videos of my own seminars and my own competition videos and whatnot. That's what, that's how we grew from zero to, to 40,000. But in order to get to 200,000, we were selling other people's stuff. It scales a lot better, but it also sales a lot better. Nobody's going to want to buy a business. That's you. So it wasn't me in the emails. Wasn't me in the blogs, Wasn't me in the products. Uh, that was big. Another thing was it wasn't me running the meetings. So trained the team to be able to run the meetings. I ran, you know, out of, uh, you know, seven days a week, you know, I would run maybe a single meeting. Um, otherwise my two main guys, one of whom was part-time, one of whom was full-time, um, would kind of run the meeting with the team. They would send me an audio recording later on and we call it a day. So I gradually weaned myself out of meetings, kind of, you know, every couple months I would take away a day, every couple months I would take away a day. And I compensated them for being able to do that. So um, I took myself out of kind of operational necessity and I took myself out of visibility to the outside world. And this made it evident that it wasn't Dan's pet project, as you said. Does that does that make sense, John? You want to go any farther on that? No, crystal clear. Okay, awesome. So uh, another really important point, John, was uh, removing myself from sales. So uh, I'm in entrepreneurs organization here in San Francisco. Um and uh a lot of folks don't sell their business mainly because uh from what I can gather, really nobody's gonna actually make money if they aren't around. In other words, even if it is a four, five, seven, eight million dollar business, 85, uh, ninety, eighty-five, seventy-eight percent of the sales are closed by the owner. Uh, you know, these are a lot of the time service businesses, John. Um, and, uh, the, the wheeling dealing and the big deals are done by the owner. And those are businesses where people can, can kind of hire an operations guy, uh, and maybe free up a bit of their time, but they really can't sell it. And they certainly can't sell it for a, a large sum down. Um, my goal was definitely a large sum down to, to pursue my Silicon Valley ventures. Um, and it, it was also, uh, you know, I wanted to instill a lot of confidence in the buyer. So. Um, I made sure that, uh, the way that we drive sales, John was through email marketing and affiliate marketing. I trained my right hand man. I gave him 5% of profits, uh, month over month trailing uh, from the previous month. Once we could kind of crunch the books, um, in order for him to handle all affiliate relations and all email marketing relations. So we determined a way to calibrate our spend uh, guesstimate our return based on previous return from those similar advertising channels. And he would simply pitch me, Hey Dan, here's, here's how I want to spend $40,000 this month. Here's the affiliates I want to talk to. Here's the email marketing guys I want to talk to and here's how it's going to roll out throughout the month. Um, you know, I would give him the thumbs up on it for three, four, five months in a row. And then he wouldn't even ask for a thumbs up. He would just go spend the damn money, John. And, uh, and so, and so the money was being made, um, without me being part of making money. Uh, And and that was a very important part for selling for 90% cash down.
0: And what was your uh, physical setup? Are you working in the same office as Uh, your guys? All remote,
1: all remote. So uh, we had one full-time employee, one part-time employee, and then two contractors. And then we had a guy, a couple of fellas overseas helping out with um, development and, and some data management stuff. But um, very, very small team, 100% remote. We would get together once a quarter, uh, to do our quarterly and or annual planning. Um, but otherwise we were just, you know, in our boxer shorts on Skype or, you know, uh, kind of email, um, you know, managing the business remotely.
0: And so you built this thing up. I mean, what, what kind of revenue were you able to get to, uh, profitability?
1: Yep. So, uh, Revenue at time of sale. Now we, we had gotten it a little bit higher than this, but it was it was a little bit tough to sustain through some of the advertising channels that we had had. But when we sold, we were maybe 210 grand a month. It, uh, but the, the benefit of that, John, is that 75, 80% of that was recurring revenue um, from kind of subscription-based uh, uh, programs for our kind of, you know, self-defense education material. So uh, we have kind of a science of skill plus program. Um, you know, where folks can can uh, kind of sign up for a full-blown curriculum in the, in that domain, and that comes along with a lot of physical products and things like that. And so we make that a pretty enticing offer for folks. And so we made the bulk of our revenue recurring. Um, and so we were two ten by the time we closed out. General profitability uh, a little bit under. 20%, I think for the totality of of last year, 2016, uh the year before or the, our first year was like 28% profit, our second year was like 25% profit and then our third I think was more like 18% profit uh overall and that's when we when we broke 2 million top line. Um so that was kind of where we were at my point of sale and now the new folks have taken over and they're kind of cruising from here.
0: So, so just round math, you're roughly 2 million top line, 400,000 bottom line, roughly? Uh,
1: Yeah. 2.2 gross sales top line. Got it. 2.2 gross sales top line. And then um, uh, bottom line, maybe a little bit under 400, Um, but I I paid myself maybe a little bit too handsomely. So if you add back my own salary, you know, safely over half a million bucks.
0: Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. That's helpful for sure. Cool. And um, so I think we understand, you know, why you wanted to sell to to fund this kind of broader purpose. Yeah.
1: Was there a triggering event
0: of some sort that 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 kind of kicked the ball off?
1: Um. You know. N- no. Not not really, man. I mean, again, I, I built the thing to sell. So the triggering event would have been. When my shift from how am I going to live as a fleeting human existence uh, went from, um, you know, uh, seeking progress in in the kind of the psychology exploration of of you know human well being and intelligence to uh, sort of the ethical implications of replicating that in technology to, to to AI. So the triggering event for me was really a big shift from cognitive science to the implications of tech. Uh, and knowing that that would involve, uh, uh, quite a large enterprise to really be able to influence some of those trajectories that I think will be morally important. But and that, so that, that was really it, John. I had no, there was no like, Oh, I've been growing it for two years. I really want to sell. Like I wanted to sell from, from day one. So I, I have no real answer for you there.
0: Yeah, no, I, 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 but so I'm curious because as you say, in your own words, you, you sort of started it with that in mind. So there must've been some, uh, some of, some event or some, something that happened because nothing changed. You, you always had this bigger vision. You were doing this for yes. a certain reason, but eventually something changed where you actually, you went from sort of pro, like you went to proactively sell the business. So did you hire a broker? Did you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, John, I'll exactly? be honest.
1: I was proactively trying to sell the business from uh, month 14 until we sold. So, um, uh, you know, want to sell the whole time John? Uh, don't, don't want to mislead you there. Um, so yeah, I mean, as, as soon as we were 14 months in, we were doing 45 grand a month of recurring revenue. Uh, and I was pretty sure like, Hey, you know, we can definitely get this thing sold. Uh, you know, but the SBA doesn't want to get behind a business that doesn't have a robust track record. Um, and, uh, it, it's tougher to get kind of a more robust cash down arrangement when you, you have less of that track record as well. Um, and you know, in the earlier days it was a little bit more built around my personality than it was built around our instructors around the world. Um, so yeah, I mean, man, John, again, i have been trying to sell it for three years by the time we sold. So, uh, three years of kind of talking to different brokers and trying to figure things out. We had a number of offers I didn't like that was kind of disappointing cause they took up, you know, half a year of my life. Um, but then we finally got a, an offer that I, I thought was uh reasonable, um, and uh, we called it a day. So I would have sold for, you know, a third of a million dollars, uh, you know, 18 months into the business if I could have, if I could have locked in a, a buyer and gotten an SBA folks to, to give us enough money up front, but we weren't able to, to line that up. So last three full years, John, it was uh, really all about selling.
0: Got it. Okay. And so you're working with various brokers or one broker?
1: Yeah, I had worked with all kinds of different brokers, man. Um, I, I had, you know, a, a ton of different folks uh, who were behind this thing. Um, and, and you mentioned you, know, you, got
0: you got offers that were were not to your liking. Maybe you could describe one of those offers. Sure. For people who've, yeah, never, yeah. Who, people who've yeah. never had an offer, it would be interesting to know sort of like what was the offer and then what what didn't you like about it?
1: Totally. Yeah, I'll give you a great example, John. So um, we had uh, towards the end of 2015 – Um, we're right from the middle of 2015, these things always take a long time. So, uh, really important for readers to know that again, I was trying to actively sell for three years and each one of those three years, John, you know, just as a sidebar, we more than doubled, um, the, the business, uh, while I was actively trying to sell it. And also while I was juggling, um, tech emergence and, you know, doing speeches and writing articles and growing that media presence at the same time. So, uh, it was a lot of things on the plate. Um, but I wanted to keep it growing so we could get a higher valuation. We were growing quite quickly towards the end of 2015 and we got an offer that was, uh, I I forget what multiple of profit it was at the time. Um, it might've been a little bit over two X profit, uh, but it was based on tax return. So this was the end of 2015 and the multiple of profit was based on the tax return from the from the end of 2014 so it was that tax return that the profit multiple was based on it was like a two point something and it was like 400 grand uh and the s the sba at that point was willing to get behind it we were we were not three years old yet we were still way less than three years old but the sba we had significant growth um you know we were we were doing per, you know quite well profitability wise but the multiple was based on uh the profit from a year before and by this time we were doing you know, close to three times the top line revenue we were when, when, uh, the end of the previous year had ended. And so uh, it was a very depressing multiple to see, um, to see it based on numbers from, you know, 10 months prior. So it was, you know, it would have closed probably sometime late November, 2015 for 400 grand flat, just flat down from the SBA call it a day. Um, but it was, it was based on just such disgustingly ancient numbers that I I just did not want to pull the trigger.
0: Got it. And so then you got an offer, which you thought was reasonable. What was the offer that, uh, that caught your fancy?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I have to give a lot of credit to, uh, the broker who I had worked with, uh, Philip by the name of, uh, of Jason at a, uh, a firm called quiet light. And, um, I, I told him kind of my big game out here, you know, by this time I was living in the Bay area. I had moved out from, from, uh, the East coast, uh, out here and I was really actively aiming to make a lot of traction and progress in, in my newer venture. And I was kind of ranting and raving about like how I wanted to move on. He was like, Hey, look, um, you know, I'll try to get as close to three X profit as I can for you. Uh, and you know, I I don't think I can get you five times profit if you want to sell this in short term, but I can, I can try to get as close to three X and get as much upfront as you can. So I want you to list this for, you know, just a hair over a million bucks. And trust me when I say, I think I can bring deals to the table and get as much down as humanly possible. And I, I just trusted the guy. So, uh, it was helpful for him that we were three years old by then. So the SBA would actually look at us. Um, and, uh, we did get an offer that was, you know, 90% down for a a little bit over a million dollar valuation, uh, you know, including inventory and, and some other factors as well. Um, and, uh, and that was it. So yeah, the, the offer was, you know, a hair over a million bucks, uh, with, with 90% down. Of course the broker got his, his cut, uh, and then an additional check for inventory. And then of course all the bank accounts were still owned by me cause it was an asset sale. Um, so I, I still got, you know, all the, the residual funds that were in the business bank accounts I got as well, as well as any money on merchant holds. So it ended up being, um, you know, a reasonable, a reasonable sum.
0: How much inventory was in the business?
1: Uh, We only had at the time of sale um, twelve grand uh, across inventory, and that was DVD programs, uh, self-defense gear, um, uh, any like books or binders we were selling, or things along those lines. Most of it was kind of gear related, but some of it was DVDs and educational material related. So twelve grand.
0: Got it. And so you got this offer from Jason. Jason delivered this offer. Were were there multiple competing offers, you know, in similar? Similar or one offer?
1: Um, The guy did a a great job. I think um, one of the lessons I learned, John, that I think translates to anybody tuned in is that um, picking uh, a really good experienced broker is a big deal. So um, I had a broker previous to Jason, who is a perfectly nice guy, and I have absolutely nothing against him, but who had not sold, you know, let's say 27-figure businesses, Right. Um, and and if a seven figure business is like a new and different and weird thing for you to sell, then you're probably going to be bad at it. Um, and so for me, finding somebody who all the time, just constantly is selling businesses at at the size that we were at and in our space and kind of the e-commerce world, there's a bajillion businesses selling for $200,000. There's not a bajillion selling for seven figures. Um, and, and then. Uh, and it's kind of like a weird middle ground. It's like, we're, we're in between like regular website sales and like, you know, two years later, we would have been in kind of private equity land, like boutique private equity land. So we're in this weird limbo mode and there's like not that many folks that are, uh, you know, getting the SBA to throw down, you know, kind of close to their limit. Um, and Jason had had a lot of that experience. Um, so he, he got us on like seven phone calls in like the first five days of launching the offer, which is something I never had before. I think because he priced it, uh, at a lower multiple than usual. Um, but, but with, with more money down, um, and yeah, so we had a a lot of calls. Uh, the offers were all the same. So the offers that we were talking with all the people were all the same, but we had three pretty, you know, reasonably serious phone calls that were kind of rolling, uh, around the same time. And then we just picked the the guys who we really thought were going to have, uh, the most promise. Did you say the offers were all the same? Yeah. Yeah. Cause the, the offer that the business was listed for was the same for all of them. And at least in the early time of negotiating, they hadn't come with like, Hey, I'll pay a little bit less or like, Hey, I'll pay a little bit more. Uh, it was just like, we were, we all knew like, look, here's going to be the terms that are going to be in an LOI. If you want to buy this thing, uh, you know, um, let, let's keep talking if you're interested. And there was one, one group of folks that just seemed, um, more familiar with the business model, more comfortable, with the business model and, and maybe a little bit more capable from an entrepreneurial experience standpoint. And so we just decided to lock in the LOI with them and kind of put the other conversations on hold. And fortunately, they really were uh, an excellent fit. And I feel extremely fortunate uh, that we found buyers who were as great as these folks.
0: So what was what was the the business listed at? How much did you ask for?
1: Uh like a million and then some, some, some 10,000 number after that, maybe a, a, like, like less than 1.1, 1. 1, like a million 80, a million 80 or something. And then you add an inventory, you add what's in merchant hold Yeah, you, you add, you know, I mean, there's, there's some other bundled stuff in there uh, to kind of lift that, but just in terms of, Hey, if you want to buy this thing, uh, you know, something in, in that range. And it, it was also made clear that, the buyer is happy to finance 10% of this transaction or something like that. Okay, so you like that, were so.
0: explicit that you were looking for an all cash offer or almost all cash offer.
1: Yeah, yeah, you it, didn't was, want it was some pre- wacky vendor take yeah, back or it, some yeah. It was it was pretty darn clear from the listing and it was also clear like hey, you know, um this is a recurring revenue business. This thing has grown more than 2x every year. Uh, there, there's some pretty good promise here. You know, I think we probably, uh, now I don't, I won't know until mid, mid or end of this year, John, but I think we actually, uh, are pretty safe and sound in the Inc 500 with that business in 2016, um, like a thousand, well over a thousand percent growth rate over the course of three years. So we had numbers that were worth bragging about. So if we were asking for less than three X profit, um, it was kind of like, a, Hey man, you know, there's. This, this is kind of maybe worth taking, you know, uh, and for me, the, the cash down is worth doing it uh, as well, because I, I wanted to still be in my 20s uh, when I had a couple commas uh, to, to bring to my purpose. I didn't want to have to wait until I was, you know, 35 or 40 to kind of be healthily liquid uh, to really pursue what matters in life to me. So um, so for me, it was worth the trade. And, and for them, it was kind of a, a no brainer deal. Uh, a little bit lower than I would have liked to sell for. I would have loved a one point two or or one point five, one point six, uh, which wouldn't have been wholly unrealistic. But the cash down was enough to just get me to shut up and take it.
0: Was there? I mean, as you look back on it now, uh, in the you know cold, sober light of day, yeah. What might you have done differently had you had you had the the whole thing to do over again?
1: Man, I feel pretty fortunate in this regard. now the, by the whole thing, do you mean this particular transaction, or do you mean the entirety of of the sale of the business, like all the efforts to sell the business mm. throughout the whole time?
0: I really mean you know that that transaction okay, that tr- transaction yeah, the, the one you actually caught I, I, I
1: gotta say, um, it's a funny way to put it. Uh, that I, I gotta say, um, I'm really fortunate that this was about as smooth a transaction as I as I, I could have possibly sort of asked for, I'm thinking now as to what kind of the major hurdles were. Um, was there, any, you know,
0: was there any, was there any idea on your part to to potentially play one of the offers off the other and, 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 and use that as leverage to gin up the price a bit?
1: You know, I mean, I, I didn't even actually talk to the, talk about that very seriously with the broker, to be honest. Um, we, uh, uh, once we had the LOI signed, like the other guys, really do have to sit in the in the back because you know you're kind of locked in with that one fella for that that period of time. And and uh, honestly, we we didn't we didn't go back to the other folks and say, hey, we're in an LOI, but if you'll pay a little bit more, we could probably get you in the door instead. Um, we honestly didn't even go there. Uh, although maybe we should have, John, but we didn't. The the thing that I probably could have done better, um uh, was in the, and it's pretty interesting because organization wise, that was kind of like my focus was making this thing one big system. But one thing that I didn't systematize super well was the orchestration of all the logins and all the passwords and all the switching of everything that my credit card was plugged into. And like having that in a, in a, in a list, like before we even started the sales process, not like post sale, but pre sale, Uh, that would have been a little bit helpful and handy on both sides. Um, to aid in the transition and that ended up like, oh man, I got billed for this thing that's still being used for the business and yada yada. Uh and and we're gonna reconcile all that, uh, so it's not a huge deal, but it was kind of the the main hiccup. But I I have to say it was really weird. Um John, you know, the the LOI was exactly what was listed uh online. And then um uh the the letter of you know intent to buy or you know whatever uh, was exactly what the LOI was. Um, there was like no like skeevy undercut darkness in there. Um, you know, we we talked it over, put it in like as simple English language as possible. We didn't, you know, I paid a lawyer maybe two grand to look at the thing. That was it. Uh, and then we made some English language changes and then closed it. And then they brought me in on two meetings and then they just didn't call me back. So I've just been completely unplugged from the business after like my second meeting since they bought it uh, because um, that that was that. So actually, a lot of things went really. Really well in terms of what I could have done better on this deal. I mean, I could I could think of a million things in my previous sales I could have done better, but for this one, I think um, password, credit card, account management stuff, pre-close would have been easier than post-close. Um, but but even that wasn't wasn't too huge.
0: Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I think, I think the password, although it sounds trivial, it's, it's true, right? Like you've got your life running on your credit card and at the moment, oh, you tons of hands, so you've got to sort of <laughs> scrape that all away and get them to put it on their credit card. So yes, it's,
1: yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. It's, it's a very fast handoff. And I, I probably uh, undervalued how many of those handoffs there are. Luckily I'm working with guys who are really nice guys. And you know, if, if they get dinged for something they shouldn't, You know, they just tell me if I get ding for something I shouldn't. You know, I just let them know, uh, and and we're we're all kind of fair and square. But it would have been much easier to have a big tick list beforehand, I think. So,
0: what is the ten percent that was was not paid in cash? What is that
1: contingent on? It's it's uh in the contract, it's not contingent actually uh on anything other than um, you know maybe my stated claims about the business being true. So like, hey, we don't actually have this many customers. Hey, uh you don't actually have this working merchant account? Uh hey, we don't actually have relationship with this advertiser, right? Like if I lied about what I promised came with the business. Um I think that that as always with any transaction could be used against uh, a seller to sort of warrant, hey, we're not going to pay you these other funds. Um so it, it it's not it's not explicitly hinging on anything other than those fundamentals. It's not hinging on growth, it's not hinging even on uh, on on you know profit it's it's like a it's financed in there right so it's like hey here's how it's gonna be paid and it's gonna be paid over this amount of time now the bank's gonna get their funds first john so you know honestly i think i think it's like the maximum to pay it all off is like eight years which makes that amount of money like even though it's six figures it makes it meaningless um but uh but that that, that's kind of you know the The terms are just long payoff, but but the good news is it's it's not I'm not locked into, hey, we have to make be making x amount of profit or we just won't pay you, or hey, we have to hit this revenue benchmark or we're just not going to pay you. It's not hinging on anything other than, hey, if you're still alive uh, and I've given you what what you know, I promised I would give you, which is a great business. Um, then, then you'll continue to to pay off what you what is owed this uh, la- to the South.
0: This last ten yeah. percent. Uh, yeah. Talk about the SBA. Now, now people listening may have heard the acronym SBA. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some you know, especially outside of the United States, would not know who the Small Business Administration yep. is. There's SBA loans. So maybe just describe yep. an SBA loan and why it was important in this deal.
1: Yeah, totally. Oh, I appreciate you clarifying the jargon. I realize SBA probably is jargon for folks who are not actively in sale mode. Um, it certainly was for me until I got into this space. So Small Business Administration, to the best of my knowledge, and John, you'd probably be more educated uh, on, on the nuances, but is a kind of a government program that has the purpose of encouraging um, a sort of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial growth on American soil. So Uh, any business that might bolster the US economy, anything that might keep a business running or get a business off the ground, the government wants to be able to incentivize that for kind of uh, earlier enterprises, whether it's a a restaurant or, you know, a consulting firm, or in our case, an e-commerce store. And so they'll provide loans to a business buyer at terms that a bank might not do because the government will actually back uh, the transaction because the government wants to incentivize entrepreneurship. Um, You know, America has had a Pretty good history with entrepreneurship, and, and they probably want to encourage uh, some some portion of that uh, to to maintain our, our gargantuan GDP dominance, uh, you know, in the world. Um, and so they have this little you know bit of an incentive program where where people can put down less of their own funds uh, and pay it off at maybe a lower interest rate over a longer period of time than a bank would give them because the government wants to incentivize uh, that kind of economic activity. So um, the reason those are important uh, in our case is because. Unless you are in a market that has a lot of exceedingly wealthy people or businesses, uh, or unless you're in a market where you are really well poised for a strategic sale, um, then the SBA is quite a likely source uh, of your exit funding. By strategic sale, what I mean is, and John, you're familiar, but maybe the readers wouldn't be. You know, if you make some kind of a special uh, file sharing, you know, uh, within enterprise, uh, software that like helps people share, um, you know, share and, and also like cut off permissions to different documents or something. Some kind of legal file sharing within enterprise. If there's some larger CRM program or some larger like uh, legal tech firm that really wants that functionality uh, and and wants the super expertise that built that functionality, they may snap you up, buy up that business, not just based on a multiple of profit but based on the value and money it could add to their business, not just as its own little entity pumping out its own little pittance of cash, but in what it means to the larger enterprise that gets sucked up into. That would be kind of a strategic sale. Uh, Those are lovely things and certainly didn't happen to me. Uh,
0: But back to the SBA, in your case, it wasn't necessarily a strategic sale. So the the acquirer was using an SBA loan to buy your business.
1: Yes, and so you the, said, yeah, yep. So the, the acquirer um, they 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 went to the SBA. They had previously sold um, uh, kind of a construction ish business, and they were running a software as a service company selling to governments that was making a decent amount of revenue. And the SBA was okay with taking you know the amount that they had to put down. I honestly don't remember how much of their own funds they had to put down, but the SBA was fine kind of covering the balance. Uh, on what the rest of the down payment to the to the buyer, which or to the seller, which is me, was. so they they went to the SBA and said, "Hey, here's our track record. here's who we are. here's how much money we have. here's our credit score. Um and here's what we want to buy. Uh, and And then the SBA said, "Okay, well, here's how much I'd like to see you put down in order for us to finance uh, this deal. So uh,
0: the balance of it, yeah, and yep. to be clear, you're not um, y- you know if if the buyer defaults on that, uh, loan, the SBA uh, pro, you know, seeks to get, be repaid by the acquirer, you're not in any way uh, co-signing that loan or, or guaranteeing no, no, loan. No, no, to no. So.
1: Yeah, to- totally not. Yeah, I mean, so it was a lot of trust from, the, from the, the buyers for sure, John, on like, hey, are we buying something real, right? Because I, I don't think they would have been confident with 90% down unless they knew um, you know, I was a very hands-off uh, director, not an operator. Uh, and that sales were going to happen even if I did the deal, because like you said, it was really going to be all on them.
0: You bet. Uh, you bet. So, um, what a great story. I, I, you know, I, I'm grateful for you sharing it also with such candor, uh, where do people, I know you've got a a, a new business in, in, uh, in the works, uh, a new purpose, a bigger purpose. Where do people find out about that and reach you?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, people, people who just want to, um, you know, reach out to me directly. I mean, it's just danfagella.com. But the the newer website we're actually going to be redirecting the URL. I'll give you the new URL. It's emerge e m e r j dot uh, com, and that's that's uh, uh kind of the the bigger artificial intelligence market research firm. An article there that might be worthwhile. The only reason I mentioned that URL, John, for your listeners is because I had never done it before. But the only article that I've written about kind of the whole process of preparing to sell, the whole process of strategizing, you know, why and when to sell uh, and what that felt like, worked like, and turned out like, um, I I put together into kind of a longer piece. So emerj.com slash exit um, is kind of a bigger article about this whole process. So people who want to know, like, you know, what the heck do I have to do for like the two years leading up to getting a sizable, you know, sum of bucks for the business here, they'll get to see kind of the you know, the hard lessons learned on my side and the stuff that ended up working out in, in kind of greater detail. So th- that article might be useful for your kind of folks. They might not like AI, John, but <laughs> hopefully if they want to sell, uh, they could learn a thing or two.
0: Emerge.com slash exit. Dan Fajella, thanks so much for joining us.
1: John, hey, Thank you.
0: Connect with John at Facebook.com slash sell or on Twitter
1: at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W.